Well, happy Easter once again. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them to John chapter 20. And let's battle through the awkwardness of this together to do this, okay? Uh, I want you to say it out loud in your living room, in your bedroom, or wherever you are right now. Church, He is risen. Yes, amen. He is risen indeed. Thank you to probably seven of you who actually said it. But uh, if you kind of go back and research the history of that greeting, he is risen, he is risen indeed. It goes all the way back. You really can't find the origin of it within church history. Um, and so it goes all the way back to Luke 24, when the two men on the Emmaus Road went uh, back to their uh, friends after they met with Jesus, and they said, the Lord is risen indeed. And the church has been saying it to each other for the last 2,000 years. Um, I, I know as a kid growing up, um, always heard it, um, kind of said it, but would kind of cringe at the awkwardness of it. Um, but in just thinking about it today, um, you know, there are some years where I think that greeting is needed on Easter more than others. And I think this is one of those years um, to not just acknowledge it, but to say it, right? Like, you know, you know what I mean by that? Like, I, th I think you do. I, I hope you do. Like, to hear yourself say it, especially in the time we're in, and especially in the week it has been. It is so important to say it. And so I'm going to give you a second chance, right? We are a church of second chances. Um, so here we go. Church, he is risen. And it is as true as, is, as it was last year, but I think it's hitting us all a little bit different this year. So last week for Palm Sunday, we were in John chapter 12. We saw uh, Jesus come into Jerusalem, kind of upend the kingdoms of the world in his teaching. Um, and then he kind of predicted what was coming at the end of the week, even while knowing that all the people hearing it weren't really going to get it. And as the week played out, he gave various teachings on important things, especially the night of the Last Supper, giving those Last Supper lessons, the vital things he wanted his disciples to remember. And then Pastor Jeff on Good Friday sharing about finding true joy at the foot of the cross. And now together we get to see the glorious conclusion to Holy Week with the resurrection the foundation of our hope, of our vindication, of our joy in this life. And so uh, if you have a Bible, um, even if, you know, while just watching, I would love for you to have it in front of you or on your device and to follow along with me as I read John chapter 20, verses 1 through eight, 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. One thing that comes across while reading and hearing John's resurrection account is the theme of change. When it comes to this historical event, people change. And it begins with a change in Jesus. It's so obvious, it's, it's ironically overlooked often. That, that It's the fundamental meaning of Easter, right? If, if somebody were to ask you, a, a friend who's, who's never been to church, or, or a young child in your home, hey, hey, why do we celebrate Easter? Why is this all such a big deal? Don't overthink it. Don't try and jazz it up. It needs no jazz. Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. The grave could not keep him. Death could not hold him. Christ the Lord is risen today. Jesus changed from a lifeless corpse to a living, breathing being once again. We know all the accounts of the resurrections in the Gospels uh, begin with the women coming upon the empty tomb. But have you ever considered what it must have been like the moment Jesus breathed again for the first time? That the first time oxygen began pumping through his chest again. The, the moment he goes from lying down to, to kind of sitting up, his, his feet hitting the ground, standing up with no pain, no suffering, and just walking out of the tomb into the early morning darkness. Have you ever considered that moment? The moment that all other moments are defined by. Jesus walking out Man, I just hope there's footage of that somewhere in heaven, okay? I just want to see it one time. And, and here's the point I want to highlight. In that moment, everything changed. And yet, in another sense, in the immediate context, nothing changed. The world was still spinning on its axis. 
The, the rising sun was on the same schedule that day. Jesus walked out to see, to smell, to hear the earth, to feel it under his feet like it always had been. The, the city of Jerusalem was sleeping or maybe just starting to wake up like a normal day. There was no massive earthquake. There was no message in the sky. And yet, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was alive. Death has been defeated. Everything changed. And yet, in another sense, nothing immediately changed. And isn't this true um, about all what we would consider big, important dates across history? A day that everything changed, and yet in the immediate, it was just kind of another day. Uh, think about the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed in Philadelphia, July 4th, 1776. Or the day Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the castle door in Wittenberg, Germany, on October 31st, 1517. Days where history was forever altered, and yet in real time, no one really knew or understood the impact yet. The, the signers of the Declaration, they, they probably kind of signed this document, hovered around, and, and kind of looked at each other, and, and, and they went home. And they had dinner that night. And they maybe played with their kids a little bit, and they read a book before calling it a night. Martin Luther nails that on the door, and you know what he did? He, he turned around, and he walked away. Maybe he met up with some friends later on, but he too eventually went home and climbed into bed that night and went to sleep like any other day. Everything seemed normal, and yet everything was different. The morning in Jerusalem when Jesus rose from the dead was another day, and yet history would never be the same. Jesus is alive. And if you read closely, John is, is giving you signs that, that, that this one is different, right? That, that, that this isn't your run-of-the-mill resurrection. And, and we know there are actually several resurrection stories in the Bible, but this one is different. If you just compare it to the other resurrection that John records earlier in his gospel, we, we mentioned it last week in John 11 when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. And he told him, Lazarus, walk out. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Verse 44, his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. You see, Lazarus was still wearing the linen on his body, the ones that his dead body was wrapped in, indicating that eventually he's going to need them again. He shouldn't totally throw them away because he has not escaped death completely, just temporarily, just delaying what will happen again someday. But Jesus has no need for his linens anymore. When the disciples would look and, um, and walk into the tomb, the, 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 the linens would be shed, they'd be lying about, the, the, and, and the headcloth folded neatly, laying to the side. Jesus would not need them any longer. His resurrection is forever. He stamped his victory over death. 
I once heard it this way, that, that Lazarus was resurrected to life as it was. Jesus was resurrected to life as it will be. Life without death. And this is the thing about history. This is why it's so important to see the resurrection as a historical moment, because once it happens, you can't change it. We're unfortunately um, experiencing the impact of that now in our current moment, where there will never be a world where a pandemic did not sweep across the globe in 2020. Just like there'll never be a world where America didn't sign the Declaration of Independence in 1776. But how do you know history happened? How do you know they really did sign a document called the Declaration of Independence on July 4th? Like, were you there? Did you see it happen? Did you see footage of that happening? No. But we know it happened because of eyewitness testimony and because afterwards, nothing would ever be the same. That's your evidence. Your evidence is to change. You see, everything changed. And so it is on Easter. We celebrate because there will never be a day or a year where Jesus did not rise from the dead. The first change of Easter is the change in Jesus. Secondly, the change in Mary. We know from the other gospel accounts that Mary was not alone in going to the tomb. There were actually three women there. But, but John is focusing here on Mary Magdalene because of the change we're about to see in her. Uh, most of you, I imagine, know this because it comes up probably every Easter. That The very fact that all four Gospels spotlight that it was women who were the primary and first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb is in itself proof that the resurrection happened. Because whether it's the Roman Empire or ancient Jewish law, they did not count women's testimony as credible in the first century. It would be kind of loosely how we would view a young child's testimony, like how true, how credible it could it be. And therefore, the fact that all four Gospels report that it was women who were there, they must have reported that. You know why? Because it happened. Because it's true. That God in his providence raised up and chose women to be the ones who would be the first witnesses of the empty tomb. While the men were hunkered down in fear of the Jewish authorities. We'll get them in a moment. But first, Mary comes and she is looking, it's important to know this, she is looking for a dead body. Her presence at the tomb is not because at this point she believed Jesus was going to rise from the dead. She came with spices to adorn a dead body. And so that's why when she sees the stone rolled away and it's still dark, she runs to see Simon Peter and the other disciples. Man, I would just love to know how far the location was from where the men were and where the tomb was. Like, how far is Mary running here? Are we talking a mile? Are we talking of 5K, okay? Did Mary have to pace herself, right? I just got a lot of questions about this. But verse 2, she said, they've taken the Lord. Meaning they took his dead body. Now, we don't even know where they put it, and we can't adorn it with these spices. The body is gone. 
And then it appears the disciples ran back ahead of Mary. Okay, it's understandable, right? Don't knock Mary for this. She didn't have fresh legs, okay? So it takes her some more time to get back. And by the time she gets back, Simon Peter and the other disciple that was there had their look around and already returned to their homes. So now Mary's at the tomb. And at this point, she's either alone or still with the other women. Again, John just recording her story here. She's weeping. Verse 11, as she wept, she takes a peek into the tomb. And there's two angels, which it seems like she didn't see them as angels. She just maybe expects they're just two other people who were walking by and went on in. And they ask her, why are you crying? And she answers, I imagine, kind of almost impatiently, like, because they took him away. I don't even even know where Jesus is, where the body is. She turns around, and there's a man standing there. And the man asks the same question as the two in the tomb, and then adds another one, who are you seeking? And Mary, I imagine she's just kind of ticked at this point, right? She assumes he's the gardener, and so she says, listen, bro, uh, that's a paraphrase, um, if you move the body, just tell me where it is, I'll take him. And it's here, seeing the pain on her face, hearing the pain in her voice, that Jesus says, Mary, and this is the moment of change. Just as Jesus changed upon breathing for the first time, Mary changes when she hears him say her name. What's the change, though? Like, what happened? She believed. She saw. She heard. And she believed that this was Jesus. That he's alive. And it changes everything. John chapter 10, Jesus was teaching and and he said this. Think about this verse now in context of the resurrection. He says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out on all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Then Jesus does what he always does when he saves. He sends. Mary is committed to Christ. She is, believes that Jesus is alive. And then she is commissioned for Christ. When Jesus says, go to my brothers and tell them. And so in the same way, everything is different for Mary now. Everything has changed. And yet, in the immediate context, nothing else around her changes. Now she's got to make that run again. And she goes a second time to the disciples. This time, tears of joy, not tears of sorrow. Back in verse 2, she essentially said, I don't see the body. And now, verse 18, changed. She says, I have seen the Lord. First, change in Jesus. Second, change in Mary. And third, a change in the disciples. So Mary, when she originally thought the body was taken, remember she ran and told Peter, and, and um, who John calls the other disciple. Many commentators believe that is how he's writing about himself. 
but that's not conclusive. And the two of them book it to the tomb, right? I mean, just remember the shame these two are experiencing, especially Peter. Just days after abandoning Jesus the night he was arrested, just like he said they would. And now the body is gone, and so they're running, and this is like a mad run. And then we get the small detail that Peter was outrun by the other disciple who got to the tomb first, right? I mean, I'm just sure Peter to this day is like, really, man? Like, like you had to include that little detail, didn't you, right? Like, like not only am I feeling shame, but now I can't even run as fast as the other guy. Um, no worse feeling than getting outrun when you can't do anything about it. But anyway, the other disciple gets there. He just peeks in the tomb. He sees the linen all around. And then Peter shows up, and Peter's, you know, frustrated. He's panting. He's like, well, you know what? I'm just going in. What else do I got to lose? And he sees the linens laying about, and he sees the face cloth folded up neatly to the side. So then the other disciple sees Peter go in, and apparently he's not destroyed. So now he goes in, and here's the key point to notice. He went in, and he saw, and he believed. What did he see? An empty tomb. Something about seeing the empty tomb turned the lights on, and he believed. Now, he surely hasn't put all the pieces together yet. He, he doesn't really understand the full picture, maybe the implications of what all this means for the world, for him. But in that moment, he at least believed that Jesus was alive. He wasn't stolen. He was alive. And something changed in that moment. But again, what did we notice in the text? What, where did they go? What happened next? They turned around and they went home. Everything changed, and yet at the same time, nothing changed in the immediate moment. They went home and they locked themselves back up. But before we read what happens next, I want to just point out to you what I think is the most powerful thing about John's resurrection account. When Jesus appeared to Mary and sent her to go tell the rest, he said in verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. In the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to the Father 108 times. But right there, in verse 17, is the first time he refers to the disciples as his brothers. Everything's changed. The price has been paid. The victory has been won. And it's the first sign that those who believe in him become adopted children into God's family. Go tell the brothers, my father, and now your father has sent me. Let's see 
what happens. Let's read John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That night, the disciples are still behind locked doors. They're they're still afraid of the Jews. They're they're still wondering what's going to happen to them. I imagine their heads are spinning after hearing Mary come back and say, I've seen the Lord, and, and, and Peter and the other disciple are giving their accounts, and telling them what they're thinking about. And then, in the midst of all this, the resurrected Jesus appears. And his first words, peace be with you. It's a loaded statement, right? I mean, peace from the alarm you're experiencing right now because you're seeing a man before you who has been dead. Peace from the fear you're feeling from the Jews in harming you, what this means for your life. But above all, my goodness, peace now with God because of Jesus' death and resurrection. You are forgiven and adopted into the family. This is the true change in Jesus Christ, changed from the inside out. Peace with God from this moment on and they will never be the same. And just as with Mary, the disciples are saved and sent. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And then John tells us that Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, meaning receive the spiritual life you have in me, the the third person of the Trinity now indwelling you as he indwells me. John's gospel is closely connected with the creation account in the book of Genesis. You know how he famously starts his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, right? Connecting with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. And here he connects the breathing of spiritual life into the disciples with God's creation of man. Listen to Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And now, in Christ, they are breathed into again. They are born again by faith, by seeing and believing. And just as Adam and Eve were commissioned In Genesis, to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion. So now the disciples are commissioned to make disciples, to be spiritually fruitful and multiply and to lead and to have dominion over the church. The disciples are changed. 
And yet, again and again, it's just the seeds of change seen at first. We won't read the next passage, but, but one disciple in particular was really struggling to believe all this because he wasn't there that night. But you know what? I don't think he was the only one. The Bible is so unbelievably honest. And some doubted even after believing. And this is the reality. Like, like, just like I'm sure the signers of the Declaration of Independence went home that night and they probably had some trouble falling asleep. Like, did we really just do the right thing? Do we really understand what this means for us? Just like Martin Luther on his walk home after stamping the thesis to the castle door, was he thinking, like, am I right here? Is it possible this is not the right decision? I mean, just put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. You know, I heard kind of a sketch put out by D.A. Carson uh, recently that really kind of impacted me that I want to share. Um, just, just picture with me um, two of the disciples, like let, let's just say Andrew and Philip are having a conversation days after this night that Jesus appeared to them. And let's say that Andrew is just all in, like, can you believe it? Jesus is alive, and now he's sending us, and we have this opportunity to proclaim this to the world and to walk in this victory. Aren't you excited, Philip? What if Philip just kind of pulled them aside and just said, are we really going through with all this? I mean, yeah, I saw him too, and I believe too, but... There's a lot to risk here, Andrew. I, I, I mean, what's this going to mean for our, our lives, for our, our family, for our nation? And Andrew's like, well, what do you mean, Philip? You saw the risen Lord. Like, like, we have conquered death in him. We will never die. We've seen him ourselves. And Philip says, yeah, I know, I know. I, I believe, but I'm just I'm thinking about my parents back home. Like, I'm thinking about how they know our names and they've seen us with him. And if we start proclaiming this, I mean, what if they come for us? What if they come for our families? Like, I just think we have some troubling times ahead and I'm just struggling with that. And Andrew's like, Philip, you, you believe. We, we, come on, let's go. We, let's move forward in this. And, and Philip's like, I know, I believe. I'm just struggling with it. Here's my question. Which one is saved? Between Philip and Andrew, which one is saved? You know what the answer is? Both. Because the assurance of salvation is not founded upon or measured upon the strength of faith. It is founded upon the blood of the lamb that was slain and the empty tomb that declared victory over them. This is God's work. And they are adopted into God's family and the measure and the strength of their faith in any given moment is not their assurance that they're saved. Their assurance is in the empty tomb that Jesus is alive. Those adoption papers have been signed by faith even if they don't feel it 
in any given moment. This is the Christ-centered life. Not that it's our performance and our strength that got us here or that will keep us here. And it's not that our doubt will remove us from here. The Christ-centered life is solely founded upon the work of Jesus Christ. It is his work, his righteousness, not mine. And therefore, the disciples believe and trust in him as Savior. They commit and are commissioned to him as Lord. And they can live the risk-filled, God-glorifying life that he has called them to one day at a time. I just have a couple verses left that we can't leave out. John 20, 29-31. Jesus said to him, the doubting disciple, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Finally, there is the change in you. Life in Jesus Christ, new spiritual life, a changed life, comes through belief. And it's a change that was in Jesus, a change in Mary, a change in the disciples, and the change that is made available to us by faith. When we see the account of Jesus, and we hear the gospel, and we believe This is why Jesus came. This is why John wrote his gospel. This is why you are here, still listening to this right now. That all the things in life that had to happen to bring you to this moment, you might think it's a coincidence, but I don't know how you could actually believe that. But it's for you to hear in his own words that Jesus came so that you might have life and life to the full in him. To look upon him and his work and become adopted into God's family. To be promised of a resurrection to what will be eternal life, the victory over death. And if you've been relying on your own work to get you there, I pray that you will see it as the rubbish it is when it comes to earning salvation. That it is only through Christ that is made available. Or if you've thought that there's no way in the life you've led that you're currently leading that this would be available to you, that this would make you too far gone, I pray that you would hear and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that this is salvation to be received, not earned. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To change. To see change happen in a moment, even if it's just this seeds of change that happen moving forward. That you would go to bed tonight, just like you did last night, and yet 
everything will be different. I pray this will be the moment you see and believe that he is risen. Yeah, he is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that these things have been written so that we may too see and believe. I pray, Lord, that we would be dethroned in our own lives, Lord, in our own mind, and that we would see you high and lifted up. We would see you as the one who conquered the grave and adopted us into God's family, and that that would be the pure and primary and foundational motivation we have each and every day. Saved by you. Sent by you for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.